So the kids are, I think, mostly back to school. The teachers are back to school. I've uh, been thinking a lot about that. I was uh, sharing some stories the other day with some friends about college. When I was in college, um, I think it was like my third year, I had transitioned into uh, a different university from where I had gone to for the first two years. And the university decided that they wouldn't accept several of the classes I had taken before when I transferred, like, oh, they weren't good enough. And the thing that was weird about that, I was like, well, I had gone to a school that's part of the same denomination as this school, so why don't they count? I had to take them anyway. And so, like, these two classes I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, the first one uh, that was uh, a very interesting class, I thought, was creative writing, creative English. And I've, I've used, I love writing, and I had gone to this class, and I walked in, and, and I found out that the professor was from another country and could barely speak English which I thought was interesting, and which is fine, but I was like, this is an English class. I don't even understand what is being said in half of the class, and it was kind of frustrating, um, but uh, I, was, I just want to go on record and be repentant before you and say I was the worst student of all time because I was angry that I had to do these dumb classes, okay, and then I just decided to take it out on every professor I had, um, and so I'm here to tell you the stories, but I'm doing it in a very repentant way, um, okay, so I go to this class, and I walk in, and, you know, I kind of scope things out, I'm like, all right, I'm going to take this class over, and so every, every time that I went to that class, which was like three times, um, I would go in, and I'd start, I'd sit, in, sit down, and the class would start, and then I'd be like, hey, uh, I forgot my laundry in the laundromat. Can I go get it? And she'd be like, before she could say no, I'd be like, all right, thanks, and I'd go. And then I'd go back to my room, and I'd play video games for about 20 minutes. <laughs> and then I'd go to the laundromat, get my, my laundry, and then rather than bring it back to my room, I'd go back to class, and I'd fold it in class. And she was just like, what is going on here? And I'd be like, oh, do 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 do. And my whole goal was to waste as much of this dumb class's time. It's terrible, isn't it? It's terrible, I know, but it's funny. And so, uh, so, so I'm like folding my clothes, and she'd be like, this, that you, you're not supposed to, you know, and I'd just be like, yeah, and you know, whatever. So I did that. It was terrible. And uh, that, was, that was one of the classes. But the other class that I, oh, I just really, I really was frustrated in this class because I had already taken this class, and it was art appreciation. How many of you, first of all, I love art. Does anybody else like art? Like when you go to other cities, art, yeah, like the art museums are where I want to go. Like when I go to D.C., like that's the highlight for me. The first time I ever saw a Monet, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just amazing. So I'm going to this art appreciation class. I'm really upset about it. And our professor was meant well. And that's about all I can say. But I constantly was trying to find ways to get out of this class. And um, my favorite time, um, and this is, Don and I were just starting to hang out, and I'm pretty sure this move is what solidified that she was going to date me, okay? So I would have her do all my homework for me, like the finger painting, okay? And, uh, but I had gone trick-or-treating with a bunch of friends, and I, I, my mom and dad didn't let me do trick-or-treating, like growing up, that wasn't allowed because that was worshiping the devil, and so when I got to college, I was like, I got to get that candy, though. And so I'd gone out with some friends, and we went to this one neighborhood where it was all these rich people, so they're, like, giving us full Snickers bars and everything. And I was just like, this is amazing. So back in, my, back in my dorm room, I've got this big pillowcase full of candy. And so I'm sitting in this dumb class, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the dumbest class ever. I'm like, hey, uh, Mrs. So-and-so. And she's like, yes. And I said, uh, I, I just totally forgot. I actually went and bought a bunch of candy for class today. 
and I'd love to distribute it. And so she was like, well, I guess that's okay. So then I, you know, wasted an hour to walk the five minutes to my room and got it. And then I came back and then I handed a piece to each person <laughs> just like this, just to kill about, you know, an hour of the class. And then she just stood there and was like, I hate this kid. Uh, and <laughs> it was the worst. So all I want to say is if you're a teacher here, God bless you. You put up with people like me, and I know it. And so could we, I just want to pray for you. Could we pray for the teachers today? Yeah, so I know we have a couple. Carrie, come on, stand up. Come on. All right, you have to stand. You're teaching, right? Yeah? Okay, if you're a teacher, stand up. We'd love to pray for you because we know that there are students out there that are maybe almost as bad as me. So let's pray. Father, we pray for these teachers and also all the other teachers that are part of our church community And we want to pray for grace. Um, We pray that they would have wisdom to be able to know how to deal with terrible children. (laughs) And we pray for the students right now, Lord, though, on on a real level, Lord, we pray that you would um, guard them, protect them, and that each one of these teachers and these students would experience grace this year and that you would um, protect them, Lord, from people who have evil intentions and that you would help them to not only grow in their the life of their mind, but also in the way that they engage with people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just um, was reminded of those stories the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, I am the worst human ever. Um, it was so bad. And um, I'm so grateful, though, because there were a few teachers, though, that made a huge difference in my life. And I don't know if you um, remember some of your teachers, but I'm so grateful for teachers that made a difference. So we're in a sermon series right now that we've been talking about core vineyard values. And today we're finishing that series up. We've been talking about um, things that we prioritize as a community and you know, ideas that are important to us because of our faith. And so for this past month, we've been just kind of working through these different values. In fact, we've gotten so far, we started out with partnering with the Holy Spirit and what that looks like. We've talked about experiencing and worshiping God. We've talked about reconciling people with God in all creation. And last week we talked about engaging in compassionate ministry and what that looks like. And today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about pursuing culturally relevant mission in the world, culturally relevant mission in the world. And so let's think a little bit about what this means. You know, in the Vineyard Core Values, the way we talk about this is that um, we start out by saying that the church exists for the sake of those who are exiled from God. And just for a moment here, think about that question about why the church exists. Now, I think if we did a poll in this room, everybody would have maybe different opinions. I would assume we have different opinions about why the church exists. You know, and I've heard all all over the, you know, church exists to have a place for our kids to go, or church exists to meet my needs, or church exists to make good coffee, or church exists to dot, dot, dot. All these different reasons, but I think it's always helpful to come back to what the Bible teaches us, and I think it's very clear that the church exists for the sake of those who are exiled from God. One theologian said that the church is the only organization that exists for the sake of its non-members, and so we exist for the sake of the world around us. It goes on to say, we are called to bring the gospel of the kingdom to every nook and cranny of creation, faithfully translating the message of Jesus into language and forms that are relevant to diverse peoples and cultures. And then it goes on to talk about how we're, we want to be innovative and expressive and that we want all mankind 
um, to have faith in Christ. And, and, but that first part is really helpful. Faithfully translating the message of Jesus into language and forms that are relevant to diverse peoples and cultures. And this is expressed very clearly in the writings of the Apostle Paul. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. This is a really helpful clarification Paul says here. He says, but I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. So in other words, all of his contextualization or his making the gospel relevant in cultures is, is subjected underneath the sovereignty of God's law, the law of Christ. Then he goes on to say, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So I want to talk a little bit about this idea of pursuing culturally relevant mission in the world. And I, I want us to think about this both, I think, broadly, like when we think about doing mission in Mexico or in Kenya or in other countries, we want to think about how we can effectively communicate about Jesus in those cultures. So as an example, like if we were going to go to to Mexico, we're going to do our best to not be offensive when we go there, right? We're going to try to to communicate the gospel in a way that the, the people living in Ensenada can, can listen to the gospel and understand it. Does that make sense? Right? Like if we're going to another country, we want to understand those cultures and, and find out the things that are that are, that are um, appropriate there. I mean, I'll never forget. I may have shared this story before, but it's, it's just such a funny thing about the differences in culture. I go to Kenya. I do this, um, this marriage retreat type of thing for all these pastors. I think some of you heard this. But I'm there, and I'm, and I'm telling these pastors about how they can, they can just unexpectedly love their wives. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, like one of the ways you can do that is, you know, buy some flowers and deliver them to your wife unexpectedly. Just out of the goodness of your heart, just, you know, just do that. Don't do it on the anniversary. Just do it. And everybody started laughing at me. And I was like, I, why is, what's so funny? And then I found out that the only time you send flowers in Kenya is, is when somebody dies. And that if you send your wife flowers, you're basically saying, I hope you die. And I was like... Don't do that. Do not send flowers. Do not send flowers. Right? But the, the cultures can sometimes be different. And so we want to be really intentional about not, not doing things that maybe would be culturally unacceptable. Um, and so we, we have to think about that. And so I want us to think about that both globally in the world, but we also, I think, have to be, we have to be thoughtful in how to do this in the United States of America, too, because, and there's a lot of reasons why I love our country. One of the things I absolutely love about our country is the diversity of our, of our, um, our nation, though. I mean, there's some beauty there. I mean, you can go to certain cities and go to a restaurant from every part of the world on one street. 
You know, you can go to certain parts of the country and, and interact with people who have come from all over the world to experience the freedoms that we have. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that are really beautiful about our country, but on the other hand, that means it's oftentimes challenging because there's all these different cultural assumptions that happen based off of where you may be from. But here's another thing too. How many of you have discovered when you get married that other families have a lot of traditions and cultures that are radically different than yours, right? You're like, but I thought we were, we're both white. <laughs> like, and we find out that the Norwegians do something different than the Irish. Or, you know, if you are, if you're coming from a certain part of the United States, like the South, I've... When I went to Kenya, I was with a friend of mine and she's from Alabama and there are certain things about Alabama that are very unique to the South. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. And she's like, well, if you come down to my, my area, these are the things that everybody knows. And I was like writing them down, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's a lot of work. So I want us to think about this. Pursuing culturally relevant mission in the world, and let's do dot, 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 especially here in Red Bluff. Okay, I wanna do a quick little bunny trail though. I, I wanna talk really quickly about three barriers to pursuing mission. And what I mean by mission is this. I believe with all of my heart, this is something I will, I will tell you that I, I'm, I believe is clear in the Bible is that every single one of us, if you're here, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have said yes to Jesus, you believe that he died on the cross for you, that you believe God's word, the Bible is inspired by him and is authoritative for, for us. If you believe those things that Christians have been believing for 2000 years, if you believe those things, it means that you are also called to be a missionary. It's not my job to share the gospel with everybody on behalf of our church. We all have the same calling to be ministers, according to Paul, ministers of reconciliation. And so we all should be thinking about how we can win our neighbors, our, our friends, our family members to Jesus. We, we have to be thinking that way. That is how the gospel is going to expand. And there's a number of barriers though that I see happening in our society because of the influence of outside non-church culture that are, that are really infiltrating the way we think and are causing us to be less engaged to pursuing this mission. And the first one is this, thinking about three barriers to pursuing mission. The first one is this, Jesus, this idea that Jesus isn't the only way. And I have to tell you, this is becoming more and more prominent where people outside of the church are like, well, you know, Jesus is just one way to, you know, enlightenment and he's one path. There's many other paths out there. And I know it sounds really humble and it sounds like, the predominant idea that's being you know, spoken in our society, but there are some major um, logical and philosophical problems with this assumption. I find that people who say this oftentimes do it in a way that it's like, it's so arrogant. It's so arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way. And when they say that, I wanna say, well, it sounds to me like you are also telling me that you've investigated every single religious option out there and that you have determined that some of them are not as important as others. And to me, that sounds just as arrogant as me saying that Jesus is the only way. Philosophically, it's the same problem. Only the problem that we have to acknowledge with this statement is that it totally undercuts the words of Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
So I want to just tell you this morning that the idea that Jesus is an option is not a Christian perspective. It is not a Christian perspective. And so any, any idea that thinks that Jesus is just another, another option for salvation misses the very teachings that Jesus gave himself. And so I think we have to keep on leaning into the exclusivity of Jesus. I, I believe that with all of my heart. And I don't mean this in a way like we say it arrogantly, like all those other religions are stupid. And, you know, it's all about us. That's not what I'm saying. It's all about Jesus. Amen? It's all about Jesus. So that's the first thing. And then the second barrier, I think, is this idea that salvation can be attained by being a good person. You know, so it's like, well, there's really no need for, really no need for Jesus. You just need to be a really good person. Well, I would like to just venture to suggest that there's nobody in this room who can be good enough. We just can't. Why? Because we're comparing ourselves to the one who is holy. And when you start to think about the holiness of God, it changes everything, doesn't it? It makes, it makes us a little bit more um, human. And we, we realize that we have brokenness and we have need of, of grace. And so I, I think that's a, another barrier that's oftentimes undergirding this, 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 um, this assumption in our culture and society and probably underneath these two false teachings. And I do think these are false teachings. I think it's possible that many have overlooked um, the third thing, and that's the consequences of sin, and that's something that we see in Scripture too. Like, I, I, I know that we like to gather together on Sundays, and we love to talk about the love of God, and I love the love of God. Anybody in the room love the love of God? Like, it is beautiful. It is a deep truth that we, we build our foundation on. But I also have to tell you that if we take seriously the teachings of Jesus, Jesus talked a lot about eternal judgment and the consequence of rejection of Jesus. And, and I just want to be really honest with you and say that there's a lot of scripture about that. And so if you have this idea that, you know, ah, Jesus is an option and I can just be a good person or the people around me can be a good person, um, it, it's really easy to lead to this, this third thing and just say, ah, we don't need to really worry about judgment. And I'm just telling you right now, those things right, right there are barriers to mission. Because if you buy into them, you, you have no urgency to lead your family members to a, to a sustainable, transformative relationship with God. And so um, I want to just suggest this question. What if Jesus is the only way to salvation? What if salvation is only attainable by God's grace through faith and that that type of faith actually is supposed to be lived out in a way that we, we carry that with us everywhere we go. What if God's judgment is true? If those things are true, then it does, it does impact the way that we think about living our lives, amen? Like we have to start thinking intentionally about the people that we love around us because we want them not, I mean, like, I want to be really clear here. I don't think that the goal right now is like, you know, we just want to make sure that no one goes to hell. Like I've done some research and I have determined that no one actually wants to go to hell. Like, I've never, you know, met anybody who's like, yeah, I can't wait to go to hell. I'm like, that's weird. Are you with me? Like, in this room right now, we could do a poll. Who wants to go to hell? I'm going to venture to guess no hands are going to be like, me, you know. You know what I mean? Like, six flags in hell together, you know. We, we all, I just assume that most people don't want to experience eternal damnation. And that is part of, it's part of the motivation for the sense of urgency. But more importantly for me, what I want people to do is to experience life everlasting. And that only comes through having a relationship with Jesus. 
That's, that's really the true motivation for my, my mission. I want people in our community to know Jesus. Why? Because when they get to know Jesus, things in their life have a way of evening out a bit. There's a little bit more foundation. There's a little bit more hope that comes into their life. And by a little bit, I mean an overwhelming, tremendous amount of hope that is, it is unable to even comprehend. Amen? And so I just want us to think about that. But let's move on. That was a little rabbit trail. I want to talk a little bit about the church at the center of culture. When we're talking about culture and being culturally relevant, I want to start by, by thinking about what culture is, okay? And this is a definition that I, I have for us. I think culture is a combination of the customs, it's the arts, the laws, the habits, the religious and social institutions that make up human society. So when we talk about being relevant for culture, I'm talking about having something to say, having something to, to propose to culture means that I, I think that our faith should impact art, law, habits, religious, and social institutions that make up our society. That's what I think we're talking about this morning. And the church has had a very complicated relationship with culture for a very long time. And I don't mean our church, I mean all churches, the church universal, the big capital C church has had, has had a, a complicated relationship with how we engage with culture. And, and years ago, a, a, a theologian named Richard Niebuhr wrote a book called Christ and Culture. And in this book, he, he lays out the ways that churches and Christians have engaged with with culture, and what he essentially does is he proposes five different ways that we can think about culture. And he talked about, for instance, um, how if you read the New Testament, there's times where it seems like very clearly that Christ is against culture. I mean, there's this one moment where it was culturally acceptable in the Jewish tradition for the Jewish um, people to have these tables set up at Solomon's porch, which is the outskirts of the temple, and to be selling things. And what does Jesus do when he walks in and sees that? He goes, he's crazy. He's like throwing tables and he's angry, and he is clearly against culture, the, against the cultural um, accepted things at that moment. We also have, I think, this idea in some circles where Christ was of culture, and it's true that Jesus was a Jewish man, by the way, still is a Jewish man, Jesus was Jewish and he had all the cultural, um, you know, influences of being Jewish. He valued the Old Testament. He valued the Hebrew scriptures. We also um, have Niebuhr talking about Christ being above culture. He talks about Christ and culture and paradox and, and finally Christ transforming culture. And all my point is to say this, as you can see, there are a variety of ways that Jesus seems to have operated in relationship to culture. And the church has, for 2,000 years, had this really complex relationship trying to figure out how we should interact with the culture around us, the society around us. So back to my art appreciation class. The one thing that stood out to me a lot in this class that I absolutely hated because I was taking it for the second time was that at one time the church led in culture. Have you ever heard of the Renaissance period? Yeah, like if you study any of those artists, guess what they were painting and sculpting? They were, they were, they were putting together 
acts of worship. They were painting scenes from the Bible all over the place. They were, they were, they were sculpting men and women from the, the Bible. They were doing everything they could to honor God with their art. And so who do we study in art appreciation classes now? We study the people who were influenced and compelled by the church to create art. And that was what they were doing. They were leading society. And so now all artists study all these previous people who were coming out of the church and who were, who were honoring God through their art. And they were just making great art. Now, and this is my opinion, most Christian musicians turn on the radio, find out what's popular, and then they try to emulate it. Have you ever noticed that? Right? And it, I mean, that's why I'm just telling you, like, I really struggle with Christian movies because most of the time they're like embarrassing, right? They're shot on an iPhone <laughs> and the acting is just, you know, like, I am a really good actor, you know? It's like, it's not great. And so I think that we need to, as followers of Jesus, we have to think about the way that we interact with culture because I don't think it's our job as followers of Jesus to simply emulate what's happening in society. We're called to stand out like a light, amen? Jesus said we are the light of the world. And so when it comes to the way that we interact with culture and society, we need to be really thoughtful. We need to be really, really thoughtful. And that's essentially what what we see in in looking at art is that, that many Christians nowadays simply emulate what's popular, but at one point in time, the church saw Um, the way that they engaged with culture as a way to not only worship, but as a way to testify to the world about the glory of God and the beauty of his creation. So we need to move away from watered down versions of art and think a little bit more, I think a little bit more traditional in that aspect. So here's what I wanna do for the remainder of my talk here. I wanna talk about what does it mean to be culturally relevant? Like what does it actually mean? Or maybe, you know, Um, How can we be culturally relevant? How can you and I, as followers of Jesus, be culturally relevant here in Red Bluff, but also how can we be be culturally relevant if we go to Ensenada or to Kenya or to wherever we go? And so there's three things that I want to just talk about for a moment here um, when it comes to being culturally relevant. And the first one is this. I think our commitment to being culturally relevant has to be for the sake of the gospel, the desire to help people around us connect with God and come to faith in Jesus. In other words, it's really similar to what Paul says. This, this is what he said right in 1 Corinthians. He talks about trying to find common ground with people so that he can help them connect with Jesus. I mean, think about all the things that we do in our church community. I, I hope you know that there is a lot of thought and a lot of intentionality between what we do. We, we, I mean, I just really want people to be able to walk into our building um, because I, I know what it's like, because I talk to people all the time. People will tell me all the time, like the first time they went to church and they could not understand anything that was happening. Or what happens a lot of times, they walked into church and no one says anything to them at all. No one talks to them, no one makes them feel welcomed and they, they get treated like they're an outsider because well, they are. That is not helpful to the gospel, amen? It's not helpful to the gospel, amen? It is is counterproductive to what we're called to do. 
And so we have to, we, we want to think and be intentional about trying to make sure that what we do is culturally relevant. Like, what are the things that we need to be engaging and thinking deeply about as followers of Jesus here in Red Bluff? And so that's why our, our church community, our leadership, we, we spend time thinking and praying and, and working on these things. But this idea of common ground, I mean, did you see that? Paul talks about trying to find common ground. Listen to this. He says, he says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Finding common ground. Can I, can I just tell you something that I've observed a lot in the last year and a half? I, what I see a lot of the time followers of Jesus doing is the exact opposite on their social media. Rather than finding common ground, it's like we do everything we can to alienate other people's perspectives and to just get it out there and let people know what we believe. And I'm not at all saying that we shouldn't have the freedom of expression and things like that, but would you not agree that the most important thing is that we honor God and we, and we actually work towards the good of humanity in order to further the mission of God in our social media engagement? Would you agree? Is it, amen? I mean, this is, this is the stuff that Paul, this is why reading Paul is like really convicting at times. Because I'm just like you. It's so hard sometimes, right? I mean, when you're talking to people or if you're on social media or, or wherever, it's sometimes the things you hear are just, can we just say they're stupid? Right? I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I want to say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But I recently found out that it's not finding common ground. <laughs> right? It's like, it doesn't work that way. Like, you're an idiot. Do you want to come to church with me? Like, I think we need to be thoughtful in the way that we are culturally relevant, okay? And so I just wanna encourage you and challenge you a bit is when you're thinking about how you engage in culture and society, ask the question of, is this going to help further the cause of Christ or is it going to, is it going to put up a wall? Because I think Jesus has called us to build bridges of friendship, bridges of kindness so that Jesus can walk across those. The second thing that I think we need to do in order to be culturally relevant is that we have to be ourselves in light of who Christ calls us to be. Um, that's one of the most beautiful things. Like I, I had this um, moment this week, probably gonna cry, just forgive me, but I was, was meeting with a friend and um, we, were just, we were just fishing. Like we went, a friend of mine who's a pastor went out to fish with this mutual friend we have. And our mutual friend has really been hurt by the church. Not our church per se, probably some of you, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's never been to our church, but he's been hurt by, by churches. And so my friend and I, were, we were just hanging out, looking to build, you know, to grow our relationship. And, and it's always interesting to me that it's like in the context of doing normal things that God just shows up. So we're, we, we were like fishing and we were just going to do a quick float and we pulled over and we... We ended up sitting in this one spot for like five hours, not even fishing. I'm such a good Christian. I just want to let you know, okay? I was like feeling so holy. I was like, I am saved. But uh, we sat there and, and in the midst of our conversation, God's presence, I could just discern. Just felt like God's presence just came. And, and we spent all this time talking about, about hurts from church. And, and it was funny because my friend and I are both pastors and we're like, we know more than you'll ever know about that. 
Like, let us tell you all of our stories. And, and we, we listened to him, and he, he kept sharing. And, and what I was so bummed out about is that most of his hurts have come from the idea that churches he's been a part of have never encouraged him to just be himself. I'm not talking about, like, you do you and who cares what the Bible teaches. Like, when I say, you know, this idea of being yourself in light of who Christ calls us to, what I mean by that is that we're all being shaped and formed into the image of Jesus. We're receiving counsel from God and changing our lives as the Holy Spirit works. Like, that's the goal, okay? But, I mean, he couldn't just be himself. He always felt like he could just couldn't let his hair down and and like he, he likes to, you know, um, to barbecue and yet that wasn't good because he did it sometimes on Sundays and just crazy stuff. And, and it got me thinking about how we need to more than ever encourage all of ourselves to be who God has created us to be. And here's why I think that's so cool. And I, and I started, I shared this with them and I was like really moved. I was thinking about you, this church, okay? We have a lot of weirdos in this church. Yeah, but you're my weirdos, <laughs> and you're your own weirdos. I mean, but I was like, I was just thinking about how diverse and different, and there's people in this room who love playing musical instruments, and then there's other people who, you know, are into going to play bunko or bungo or whatever that game is. I don't even know what it is. I was trying to figure out. I was like, this is so weird. Um, there's other people in here who, who like going to, to oceans and, and spending time on the coast and other people like going to the mountains. And, you know, there's some people who are less transformed and saved because they like fishing with bait. And then some of us are really Christians because we fly fish. And there's all these differences. But I was really moved by it because I thought that's exactly how we're going to continue to further God's work is that if all of us are in our little cultural contexts, and those of you who do certain things over here, and then some of us do things over here, and some of us are over here, if we're all faithfully trying to make the gospel and the kingdom relevant to the cultural context we're in, we will see more people come to faith, because as you can probably tell, some of us are going to be more effective with our friends than others, amen? I mean, that's the whole point, that's why I think it's so beautiful, like, Jesus is putting together a church that's diverse and has people with tons of different gifts and different passions and things like that. I need to move on. Number three, be being culturally relevant, or maybe another way to think about it is culturally appropriate and needed. Being culturally relevant often means being countercultural. And this is the part that I wanted to spend a minute. I know we've gone over a little bit longer, but I just want to spend a minute here um, saying a few things about this. I have been watching our society for 42 years. 42 years old now, and I've been watching. I spend a significant amount of time, um, you know, engaging in culture. I, I read books. I love just, I just love people. Uh, there's things about society that I find um, so fascinating, but I feel like I can say this now pretty authoritatively. Our society has lost its mind. I think it's lost its bearings. I think that much of culture has lost its sense of morality. And what I mean by that is that there's no framework or foundation for why people do what they do. And that's why we see all around us people going crazy, going absolutely crazy. And I just wanna, I just wanna say, we as followers of Jesus are not called to emulate that part of society. I think we are called to be countercultural. 
So let me tell you right now what our world and what our society and the various cultures around us, I'll tell you what they need, is they need more of Jesus and they need more of Jesus' kingdom. That is what we need. And the only way that that's going to get out there is if you and I are faithful in the way that we live out our faith. So if you really truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and is the only the only answer to the complex questions that the world is, answer, is asking, then I'm telling you right now, you have to think about how you can share those truths with the people around you. I, I think we have to think more. I mean, it's, it's the, the thing about our culture and our society right now that is most concerning to me is we have become more and more anti-intellectual as a society. We just, it's like thinking is not being taught in school. You know, I, I was talking about that with some friends the other day, and they said, well, they're teaching it in college. Folks, if you are learning how to think in college, we are so screwed. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh. I, I don't know. Screwed in, like, screws being screwed into wood. I don't know what I was trying to say. Point being is that we need help. Let's stand up. Welcome to the hour and a half service. <laughs> I'm always telling people, I'm like, oh, we're only an hour and 15 minutes. Just kidding. Um, let's pray. Here's what I want to do. I want to I pray for, I want to pray for us. I want to pray that, I want to pray for us to be able to, to be thoughtful in the way that we live our lives. Um, I want to just tell you right now that we as followers of Jesus are told by Jesus to love Jesus with all of our heart. And I want to love Jesus with all of our heart. We're also told by Jesus that we should love God with all of our strength. And I wanna give, I wanna give Jesus all the love that I can, I can give him. But he says that we should also love the Lord our God with our soul, and I think that's obvious, you know, spiritual things. But the final thing that Jesus says is that we should love the Lord our God with all of our minds, okay? And so being culturally relevant is this combination of being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and keeping our eyes and our ears open to whatever the Holy Spirit may be, may be speaking to us. But it also means that we use our brains. And before we post, you're an idiot on Facebook, we think about how we can actually build common, common good with them and, and have common, um, you know, commonality with them so that we can continue to have relationship with them so that we can help them connect with the God who created them, the God who created everything, the God who has actually wired human beings to have relationship. And all they need to fill the emptiness of their hearts is to have somebody point them to the cross. And you will never be able to do that if you don't think, you don't put into into practice this, this concept of being culturally relevant. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you, would you work in this room, Lord? I, I know that you're here. We all know that, that you're here. We've, we've sensed your presence this morning. But Father, I pray that you would pour your spirit out on us and that you would help us to be thoughtful in the way that we live our faith. Lord, that you would help us to be to be thoughtful in the way that we share our faith. And when we're around our family members, we would be thoughtful in how we, we win them to Christ. That when we're with our coworkers, you would help us to be thoughtful in the way that we communicate who Jesus is and what his kingdom is about. Lord, I just pray that you would, you would help us to be a beacon of light, 
that we would not be so concerned with culture to the point of wanting to pacify culture, but more often than not, you would give us the strength to be countercultural, to point people to King Jesus and his kingdom. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people who agreed said, amen. Folks, have a great week and we will see you next Sunday.